steal, and Puss with the chain. And St. John's takes down number three, Villanova. A signature win for Mike Anderson. Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. What is up, St. John's fans? It's another edition of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello. We come to you for the first time this season, first time I've done this show in uh, about six months, I think, actually. Uh, If you follow me on Twitter, you know I recently started a new job. Haven't really been able to do this podcast at all, uh, so certainly is not as much as I would have liked uh, given that new schedule, but I'm here. uh, Fittingly, I'm here after a loss. Going to be here hopefully a couple of times throughout the season, just given my my thoughts on the Red Storm uh, as we go along, but for this one, again, like I said, fitting. I come back for the first time this year after their first loss of the season. Uh, St. John's Falls 71-260 on the road at number 23. Iowa State, first real big test of the season for the Red Storm after they really beat up on a bunch of cupcakes. They beat a Nebraska team that's not very good. They beat Temple. They beat a Syracuse team that uh, isn't really going to be much of a resume uh, game for you going forward. They go on the road, really a big chance to pick up a big win to possibly get yourself into the top 25 uh, on tomorrow's rankings if you were able to get a win and St. John's really just comes out flat right from the start what do they score two points in the first 10 minutes of this game or whatever it was they don't uh, record a field goal until I I believe what the nine minute mark of the first half it was just a a brutal offensive first half they fall down uh, by 15 early and they were really never in this game at any point, <laughs> like from the opening tip until the final whistle. I know that the final margin was only 11. I know that they got it down to, what, 10 a couple of times in that second half, and they got it down to nine, I believe, once in the final maybe four minutes or so, but... Let's be honest, this game was never in doubt, really, uh, from the second that it got to be, I don't know, 11-2 to uh, or whatever. By the time that ESPN actually got to the game or, or got let us figure out where the game was was going to be uh, with, the, with the game before running long, uh, the game was already over. It was like 7 nothing, and by then, St. John's really never got within uh, five points or anything like that. So they certainly fail their first big test of the season. And listen, I, I would just say, like, for once, the broadcasters, I think, just hit the nail on the head. Whoever that color guy was, I don't know who it was. But what he said at the end of the game, it's what we've been saying as fans for the past four years now under Mike Anderson, and that is it's very, very easy to game plan against this St. John's team offensively. Because like this announcer said, when they can't get out in transition, when they can't create easy baskets, when you force them to play slow and play at your tempo and play a half-court game, they're absolutely clueless. And it's not the players that are clueless, it's the coaches. Because the players have changed now. We've been here for four years now. We've seen guys come, we've seen guys go, and it's the same story for four seasons. And that is when this team isn't getting out in transition, when this team isn't forcing turnovers, when this team isn't getting easy baskets, they don't know what to do. When you force this team to play a slow slugfest type game like Iowa State likes to play, they're never going to know what to do. They're going to be absolutely clueless and they're going to lose that game nine times out of 10. 
They are not going to win. St. John's is not built to win a rock fight 60 to 56 type game. They don't play well enough on the defensive end, and they don't know what to do on the offensive end in terms of playing a half-court offense, and you saw that today. 3 of 16 from 3-point field goals, that's 18%. 19 of 53 overall, 35% from the field. Just a brutal offensive performance, and like the announcer said, there is no backup plan. And that leads me to question, what is going on in practice? What have we been doing in practice for the past four years now? That the offensive game plan, like I tweeted out, if you follow me on Twitter, the offensive game plan is play fast, <laughs> create turnover. Like what? Like what? Is, that's not a game plan. You know, it, it, like it's like they always say, what? What is it? Uh, hope is not a real plan, or whatever it is. Hoping that you're going to force turnovers and get out in transition, that's not a game plan. Like run some sets, do something. The ball. How many times? And I, I understand the competition is different. But through the first eight games, did we see the ball dump down low to Joel Soriano to get some easy baskets? That didn't really happen today. You know, it, like like there's no, you know, we're not seeing any ball screen. We're not seeing anything, anything worth of a game plan offensively from St. John's right now. And you're, and it's just showing in this game, I mean. Soriano, seven points, 12 rebounds. He went two of six from the floor, but he did not look like the dominant player. And no one expected him to be that dominant player that's averaging a double-double, but there was just no plan in terms of getting him the ball down low and maybe creating from there. How many times do we see St. John's not even get a shot up until the final five seconds of the shot clock in that first half because they just didn't know what to do because Iowa State is a good defensive team and Iowa State forced St. John's to play their style. And what's concerning for me, and, and I don't want to come out here and make it seem like I'm I'm freaking out because they lost this game. They were underdogs in this game. You're going on the road against a top 25 opponent who's already beaten Villanova this season, who's beaten North Carolina this season. I know those two teams are kind of in a rut right now, but they have some quality wins already this season. Iowa State's going to be an NCAA tournament team. I don't think anyone's really questioning that at this point. So no one was, at least me, I was not expecting them to win this game. And honestly, if you would have told me three hours ago they're going to lose this game by 11, I would have said, okay. Uh, honestly, I, I would that would not have surprised me at all. And I would have said, all right, but it's the style that they lost this game, to me at least. It's the way that they lost this game. It's falling behind early, which has been an issue all season long. But it's not only that, it's the half-court offense. It's scoring 60 points. It's shooting 3 of 16 from 3-point range, which was going to be an issue all season long, right? That was one of the biggest question marks from this team. Can they hit shots consistently enough from three-point range? Three of 16. If you take out pin zone, they were one of of 11 from three. They made one three-pointer in this game outside of pin zone, and pin zone hit a couple at the end of the game. It's the style that they lost this game, just looking so inept on the offensive end in the half court. And just from the, the moment that ball was tipped, Iowa State played their game. St. John's did not play their game. Iowa State forced turnovers. They forced 20 St. John's turnovers in this game. St. John's forces 12. I don't have the fast break points. I don't have the the points off turnovers. I don't have the second chance points here, but I'll assume all of them went in favor of Iowa State. Or I might actually have that. Hold on. Let's see. But all of them... No, I don't have those. Okay. But, But all of that went in favor, I would assume, of Iowa State. That's why I'm concerned. That's why I'm freaking out a little bit right now. Because when you look now at Big E's play, do you think that 
Villanova is going to play good half-court defense or UConn or Creighton or Xavier or Providence or Seton Hall. These are all good defensive teams. That's what the Big East is. And not only that, when you talk about game planning against St. John's, how it's very easy to game plan against them, do you think Ed Cooley and and uh, Danny Hurley and even Shaheen Holloway and Shaka Smart and Sean Miller, these guys are going to game plan for St. John's like it's nothing, especially all the guys who have been in the conference for a couple of years now. We're not a hard team to game plan against. And when you look at the Big East and you say, opposing coaches are saying, let's just make them play our game. Let's play slow. Let's slow the tempo down. Let's force them to play a half-court game. And more often than not, they're going to make the wrong decision. They're going to beat themselves. They're going to turn the ball over. Posh Alexander, eight turnovers in this game. Posh and Curbelo combined for 12 turnovers in this game. Four assists, 12 turnovers for those two guys. That's the book on how to beat St. John's. It's completely out. And it's not a surprise. Like, this has been the book on how to beat St. John's for four years now. And that's what concerns me. Again, not the loss. Not the fact that they lost this game by 11. Not even the fact that they were really never in this game. Because, again, if you would have told me from from the opening t- or two, or three hours ago, like I mentioned, they're going to get down big. They're going to come back a little bit. They're going to be down around 10 to 15 the entire game, and they're going to lose. I would have said that's probably how this game is going to go, and it wouldn't have, sh- have shocked me. But the fact that they lose this game, and it's the same type of, of loss that we've seen for years now under Mike Anderson, that's what concerns me. Because it tells me that nothing is changing. The players are changing, but the coaching is not. And the philosophy is not. And the more I see this, just the more I'm convinced that this style is not going to work. This 40 minutes of hell style. He has the players, sure, but but when, when teams, it's just so easy to game plan against. That's what frustrates me. But uh, it's, a, it's a frustrating loss, of course, for St. John's, like I mentioned. And I want to get to the defense as well. If you follow me on Twitter, I, I tweeted this out about, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes ago, whenever it was. Iowa State made, I think, two field goals outside of of point-blank range in that second half. I wish I had the numbers for their second half field goal percentage. They scored 38 points in the second half, Iowa State. But however many field goals they made in the second half, like all but two of them were from point-blank layup range. I mean, they were getting there. They were blown past St. John's guards. St. John's was soft on the glass tonight. Let, what were the rebounding numbers? They might have actually not been that crazy. No, St. John's actually out rebounded Iowa State, but they were soft on the glass on the defensive end. They gave up 10 offensive rebounds in this game. Soriano did not have a good game, like I mentioned. He really got beat up by their big man. I, I don't know his name, but they, he beat them up, or they, yeah, he beat Soriano up. And like I said, the, the guards were just blowing past St. John's guards. All but, I think, two of those field goals in the second half for Iowa State were point blank layup range. And they missed a lot of them, too. Like, if you look at the, the made and the missed uh, on, the, on the box score or on the, on the shot chart, it's they missed a lot of shots from point-blank range, too. The Iowa State plan, really for the entire game, but especially for the second half, was we can get to the basket with no problem against these guys. Like, we can attack the basket with no problem against these guys. Now, part of that, sure, is maybe some guys being in foul trouble. Posh, Curbelo, not being their usual selves. Curbelo fouled out of this game. Posh had four fouls. He was playing in foul trouble for a lot of the way. Soriano was in foul trouble, too. He had four fouls and uh, had three pretty quickly as well. So, sure, does that have something to do with it? Yes. But the fact that they their entire second half was just layup, 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 layup. You're never going to get back in the game that way. And even though the offense did pick up a little bit, they scored 38 points in the second half. 
the offense did pick up a little bit. They never really got into a rhythm, I would say, offensively, but they figured something out in the second half to score 38 points. They never got back in this game because it was, all right, let's get it down to 11. Now here's here's an Iowa State layup. It's 13. Then we miss a shot. Now here's another Iowa State layup. It's 15. All right, we get it down to nine. Here's an Iowa State layup. It's 11. All right, here's a turnover now. Iowa State layup. It's 13. It was just layup after layup, and you're not forcing them into any tough shots, into any jumpers, into anything that was even remotely not a high percentage shot for them. So, you know, the defensive effort was just not there tonight, in my opinion, as well as the offense. It was a bad game on both ends. and But I just think that, like I said, the concern for me is that this was the exact type of game that we've seen for a couple of years now under Mike Anderson. And that's what concerns me, is you need to have a big, big, big East play now. Like, you need to really, really play well in the Big East. Because for a second straight season, and we can talk about this, and it's been beaten to death on Twitter but they did not schedule strong in non-conference. You didn't really play in a big non-conference tournament. Like I mentioned, you played in a four-teamer with Temple, Syracuse, and Richmond. And I don't care what anyone says, If whenever that was scheduled a year ago, two years ago, you knew you were not going to get anything out of that. Syracuse has been a, a, a bad program now, basically on your level for the past five years or so. Temple is nothing. Richmond isn't very good either. Like You knew you were not going to get anything out of that. You get Iowa State, which was a good matchup. You got a good matchup in the Big 12. In the Gavit games, you got Nebraska. Nothing you could do about that, but if you believe the reports that they wanted to play that game at Carnesec Arena, you kind of did it to yourself getting Nebraska. You got a Florida State team that stinks. But when you schedule, you know, three or four games out of the the 13 that you play in the non-conference slate that don't mean anything, that are, I'm sorry, that that actually are going to help your schedule. When you only schedule three or four of those games and two of those teams end up being bad and it leaves you with basically one game that's of any value in the non-conference and you lose that game, it puts you in a hole. Because now, like I said, I mean, you're going to play New Hampshire and Florida State uh, in the remaining non-conference. You're going to win those two games, obviously, or you would think. You'll have 10 non-conference wins, and not one of them is going to mean anything. Not one of them is going to go on your NCAA tournament resume. So to make the NCAA tournament now, you've got to win like 12 games in the Big East. 11, 12 games in the Big East, and that's not easy. Even in a down year for the Big East, that's not easy. We've seen how hard it is for this team to consistently win in the Big East. I mean, how many times in the last decade have they won 11, 12 games in the East? What, twice maybe? Once or twice? It doesn't happen that often. So you're digging yourself a hole year after year now when you don't play a strong non-conference schedule. And when you're playing Niagara and LIU and Central Connecticut and Merrimack and Lafayette, when you're playing those teams, it doesn't prepare you for Big East play. You saw that in this game. Did they look prepared in this game to play to play Iowa State on the road? No. Because to, to date, their best opponent that they've played is Syracuse. They've played basically one and one and a half, I would say, legitimate opponents this season. It doesn't prepare you. And it's a second straight season. Now, look back to last season when they played Pitt and when they played Kansas and when they, when they lost to Kansas, and that was basically their only meaningful non-conference game. So that's two straight years now that you have a hopeful NCAA tournament team that gets nothing out of non-conference. That doesn't get one resume win of note. And again, some of that, yes, is the teams that you're playing that, that that you schedule that end up being a lot worse, like Pitt, like Florida State. Nebraska's been terrible, but I guess like Nebraska too. Some of that is that, yes. But if you schedule five or six quality opponents in your non-conference play, like a lot of teams, look what Seton Hall does every single season in terms of their non-conference schedule. 
If you schedule five or six really solid opponents and two of them end up being a lot worse than you thought, you still got three or four quality games that you're playing instead of the one that St. John's has played in each of the last two seasons. That's my issue. And they keep telling us the non-conference schedule is not an issue. The people at this university keep saying that non-conference schedule is not an issue. It is. Because now you're putting yourself in a position where you've got to win 11, 12 games in the Big East to have a solid NCAA tournament resume. And that is tough. Two straight years now, you've put an NCAA tournament hopeful team in a hole going into conference play. And that's a problem for me. But... Um, yeah, that was good. I got some anger out there. So um, that's basically all my thoughts on this one. Like I said, uh, I'm going to hopefully uh, come back at some point, you know, probably won't be doing very many midweek games this season. Uh, but when I'm up for it, I'm going to I'm going to try to do this podcast still uh, every once in a while. So be on the lookout for that. Like I said, it'll probably be more on the weekends than anything else. But uh, if you like this show, definitely let me know. I appreciate all the shout outs on Twitter that I've been getting for people wanting me to bring this show back. I'm sorry that I haven't been able to do it uh, as consistently as I wanted to over the past couple of months or at all, really, over the past couple of months. But thank you guys for for tuning back in. I I hope I didn't lose you over over this uh, hiatus that I've had this season. And uh, yeah, be on the lookout. Follow me on Twitter. That's probably the best way to to find when new episodes come out. If you follow me on Twitter or if you subscribe to the show, uh, definitely, you know, leave a like leave a review or whatever the hell you do on uh, on that apple podcast or on spotify wherever you get the show so thank you guys for listening like i said sometime in the next month or so i'll be back to do another episode uh maybe i'll have a guest on or something like that as well but thank you guys for listening hope everyone has had a great holiday season so far and i'll catch you guys on the other side uh let's go johnny's <laughs>